You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 770 CHQR. Welcome to The Strong Room. I'm Wayne Nelson. Philanthropy is the focus of today's program, not just writing a check, but taking an active role in a project of interest. Brad Trusky is a Calgary dentist who has gotten involved in Dentistry for All, a charitable program that provides basic care to people in Guatemala. Brad and his sister Janine Herman and others recently returned from a mission to Guatemala. Brad, how did you become involved with Dentistry for All? Well, after I finished dental school, I started working in Calgary as a pediatric dentist, and I had always wanted to do volunteer work as a dentist. And uh, uh, someone who's become a very good friend of mine uh, in Edmonton, Dr. Dennis Bedard, I met him at a conference, and the conversation at the table was about volunteer dentistry, and I kind of jumped in and said, I wish I could do something like that. And he popped up and said, uh, we're looking for somebody for February, and that was uh, that was back in 2003, and at the time, uh, I was an associate of the practice, and the owner of the practice looked at me across the table and said, you should go, and I said, I don't have any holiday time during, he said, just go, I know you've always wanted to do this, and so that was the beginning, that was my first trip in, uh, yeah, in the spring of 2003. Where did you go? Went to a small village in the western highland region of Guatemala called Comitencio in the San Marcos, San Marcos department. It's very uh, uh, mountainous, uh, very high uh, High altitude village of about uh, the area is about eighty thousand people in the in the entire area, and there's there's no dentistry there, um, so they don't have access to dental care. They don't have access to preventative information, things like that. So uh, they had been going. The group had been going there for a couple of years, and that was the first place that I spent two weeks. And what did you find there in terms of uh, patients, equipment, and knowledge? Was it all pretty rudimentary? Well, in that particular area, it, it's remote enough. Uh, that their information doesn't get there as often as um, things do. So uh, in the early stages of the development of that particular area, which is alike in a lot of areas in Central America, um, it was very easy for them to uh, get access to things that maybe weren't so healthy for them without having access to the knowledge of what it would mean for their dental health and overall health. Uh, so as far as information goes, um, they didn't know that um, soda pop and sweet beverages were bad for your teeth. They didn't know that it wasn't a good thing to put in a baby bottle. They didn't know what the tartar or rocky buildup on their teeth was. They just knew it was just something that came. A generation ago, they wouldn't have had as many of those issues because they didn't have access to a lot of the kind of refined food products that they now have access to. Uh, but uh, it's just something that sort of came about. Uh, the problem started arising uh, in the last, I'd say, since the Civil War ended and the last kind of generation, and they just didn't really have any information on, on what to do about it. There, There is um, some medical care in the area, but as far as equipment goes, um, no dental, no private practicing dental offices, that's for sure. Um, every once in a while, there might be a, a medical group that would go through and would do a screening and they would see problems, but they didn't have the equipment uh, or the knowledge to be able to take care of them. So essentially, they would provide some information, uh, and a very few people would have the opportunity to travel to uh, town centers or cities and actually get dental care done. So uh, sometimes you might see in the streets there'd be uh, like a, what they would call a dental lab, uh, which would be a place that you might be able to go and have a tooth out or have a sort of an overdenture, a very rudimentary overdenture made. Uh, but really, that was also something that most people couldn't afford. Brad, what do you remember about the two weeks that you were there in 
terms of the first day you walked out of the hotel or into a clinic or wherever you were set up, and the first patient who showed up? I remember uh, the, the most prominent feeling I have is, is feeling bad about having just bought a big screen TV back home. Uh, and having a car that actually drove well and having uh, a doctor that I could go and see uh, and uh, 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 toilets that flush, um, toilets that flush, toilet paper, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just uh, actually that the first, the overwhelming sensation that I had when I was first there was, was of guilt. Uh, feeling so terrible that we have so much and so many people down there have so little. However, um, my father taught me at a very young age to not... Um, assume how other people feel about their situations. Uh, my dad used to do a lot of traveling for work, and I remember when I was very young, he went to Burma, and when he came back, he described to me the toys that the kids have and how they made them out of rocks and sticks and, and old bits of metal and things like that. And I, I looked at a picture of a kid kind of rolling an old um, bike uh, wheel frame, and I and I said, they're so poor. Like, how how do they live like that? And he looked at me and he said... They don't know they're poor. Like this, this is their life, and they're happy. And it's not until we go and compare ourselves to them, and vice versa, that they know um, how they like how they fit in the world. So that was the first. That was the first feeling. I, I had to get over that very quickly because the the dental director at the time, uh, Doctor Bedard, looked at me and said, "Are you going to work? Like, are you just going <laughs> to keep looking around and daydream and everything?" And it was it was kind of hard for me at, at first, but uh, we settled in. And as soon as I had my first patient in the chair and I started looking, I realized that there was I had work to do. There's a reason I was I was there. So. It sounds like it tests everything you ever learned in school. You know what? Uh, it, it really does. Uh, what's funny is that the very basics of dentistry are what's most important for dental health. And a lot of, uh, we're taught in the first few years of, of dental school how to fix teeth. And that's what dentistry is. And dentistry um, in the you know in the last sort of decade or so has, has started to change a little bit. It's become more about improving a current situation because really there's, there's a lot less problems, at least in our society. Uh, it was, in a way, it was nice to see that there's still a need. I remember when I when I finished dental school, just before I went to do my pediatric residency, somebody said to me, "I don't know why you're you're going to do pedo. There's, you know, pretty soon we're not going to have any cavities in our in our kids' mouths anymore. It's all going to be about improving smiles and doing veneers and things like that." And I just I never believed that, and certainly reaffirmed my uh, my thoughts down there. That's for sure. How has the mission changed, Brad, in the 16 years now since that first trip? Uh, a fair bit uh, for for me personally as well as the organization. Uh, so when we first started going down, that group it had been a couple of years in that particular area. Um, had also worked in Guatemala City in a, in a school there uh, and usually did a couple of weeks in Comodencio and then there was a couple other areas in, in Guatemala that we would work for a week at a time. And back then, it was a, a group of very dedicated but near-retired dentists who were not only able to afford the costs of going on the trip, because all of our volunteers pay their own way to go. So they could not only afford the costs of, of going on the trip, but they could also afford the time. Uh, when people are early in their practice, uh, it's hard to get that kind of time away. It's hard to be able to afford it. Um, and uh, also, uh, the younger generation of dentists tend to have a little bit more energy and a little bit more... Uh, desire for a kind of an exciting experience like that. So it, in, in some ways, the organization has grown, the volunteer base has grown quite a bit, but it's also changed in that it's no longer a group of people who are sort of fairly well through their career and ready to start giving back. Um, our our uh, real desire is to get people while they're still in dental school and shortly after graduating, not just because the energy levels are high and they can carry our heavy bags around, um, but they're able to... Um, 
surviving those experiences. They're, they're, they're willing to take on the adventure of being in a place where you can't flush toilet paper down the toilet, where uh, you can't drink the water. Uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of those type of experiences that people are more advanced in their career and in their age they might not be as comfortable with. Um, but also, I think it's really important that when people are fresh in their careers, they see what's really out there and what's really needed. Because uh, we work in an industry that is, uh, it's, it's a safe industry. It has the, um, in some ways, it can be a lucrative industry. There's the opportunity for lots of time away from work. And rather than um, just write a check for a charity, our hope is that we get people interested in what we're doing at a young enough age that they'll, that they'll volunteer their time and be a part of an organization others like ours. How have you been received by that community? And has the way you are received changed over time as they've become more familiar with you and your colleagues and what you're able to do for them? That particular community has, we've evolved with the community as the communities evolve. So um, in the area, we were the first sort of volunteer dental group to go in there. There are other groups that, that go in as well, but they tend to be organizations that work in different locations each time they go on a trip. Uh, we always go back to the same communities that we've been working in since the beginning. So Comitancio was the first place that we worked. And from there, uh, when you travel to a place like Guatemala, you tend to bump into other people in kind of the same, uh, shall we call it, orbit as we are. Uh, and you meet uh, people from different organizations and the opportunity to find out where our, our services are needed elsewhere in the country. So we have done a fair bit of work in Guatemala City as well. And more recently, like in the last uh, 12, 10 or 12 years, we work in an area up in the north, uh, the jungle region, which is called the Paten. And there's a little community called El Ramate, uh, and we work there as well. So as, as time has passed, we've expanded where we work, but we've established ourselves in several small communities and make sure that we go back to those communities so that we can provide continuity of care. Um, helps us to build trust in the areas so that people will, uh, they're not afraid to see us. Uh, and people, you know, they, they tell their friends, they tell their family that we're, we're to be trusted and we can help and we can take that pain away or we can improve the smile or we can teach them things that they didn't know. We'll have more on this story in a future program. When we come back, we'll chat with Sherry McMillan about how to make philanthropy a part of your estate plan. You're listening to The Strong Room on 770 CHQR.